Hello there, this is Mark Bauerline with another conversation. Before we get to it, a word about one of our sponsors. Located in the foothills of Wyoming's spectacular Wind River Range, Wyoming Catholic College, an accredited four-year Great Books Institution, is built on the ancient Western tradition of the liberal arts and the freedom of the American West. The college offers its students an immersion in the primary sources of the classical tradition, the grandeur of the mountain wilderness, and the spiritual heritage of the Catholic Church. Students experience the illumination of imagination and intellect through the great books and traditional disciplines, literature and philosophy, mathematics and theology, science and Latin, and an outdoor program second to none. The college celebrated an in-person graduation with its seniors last year and welcomed its largest freshman class ever this year. Learn more about the college's unique space in the world of American higher education at wyomingcatholic.edu. We have with us today Fisher Derderian. He is the founder and executive director of the Roger Scruton Legacy Foundation. And he's with us today to discuss precisely the, the legacy of that thinker and the work of the foundation. Uh, Roger Scruton, who has published a few pieces in First Things uh, about, I guess, five, four or five years ago uh, mm-hmm. with us. We were, of course, honored to have him in the magazine. Welcome, Fisher. Well, thank you, Mark. It's a pleasure to join you on the First Things podcast. T- tell us just in practical terms, what does the foundation do? Yeah, well, first I have to say, you know, it's it's uh, all the more a pleasure to join join First Things as I was an intern there, which you'll remember, Mark. This is probably, uh, well, I hate to date myself, but probably back in 2016. So so, anyways, uh, just a fun aside. Um, but the foundation itself, you know, as you might guess from the name, the Roger Scruton Legacy Foundation, uh, our mission is to further, well, really establish and further Roger's legacy. Uh, we we hope to, uh, as Roger did, um, continue you know conserve and care uh, for Western traditions, uh, humane culture and wisdom um, that we've received uh, from from our forebears and and uh, care for it and pass it on. And, and so what that means in, in practical terms, of course, is uh, hosting and fostering discussions uh, around these topics. Um, but also, you know, in, in some sense, as a legacy foundation, my I should say, we we. We want to continue talking about Roger, who he was, what he did, what he thought, what he believed, what he argued for, um, and, and so on and so forth. And, and that will be a, a very important part of our work, especially as we go forward. Uh, but we also want to continue it in a, in a substantial way. Uh, I think it would just be a shame, especially with someone like Roger, if, you, if, if any of the, the listeners have ever read anything by Roger, there's, there's this real energy and momentum. Uh, behind his his work and and even a youthfulness, if we can call it that, uh, that I, I think uh, just grabs the reader's attention and pulls them in uh, in a very serious way. And, and to let these things, uh, you know, this momentum fizzle out, I think would be a great shame and a tragedy, really. And so our hope is to continue Roger's work in some some concrete and substantial way. Uh, in which we we not only you know have these philosophical discussions about his ideas, but actually find the people doing the work that Roger himself was uh, supporting, was advocating for, and and even in some sense doing, uh, and and encourage them, connect them with people. I think this is one of the great tragedies of of the modern era, um, is that there's this you know as, as connected as we are through. Uh, the digital technologies and, and the computer and phones and so forth. Uh, there's this real sense of, of isolation and remoteness, and, and even you know more so amongst conservatives uh, and traditionalists, I guess largely speaking, whether that means politically so or, or culturally, artistically so on and so forth. Yeah. That um, that that something here needs to be addressed, and there are organizations you know of this type you know, doing these sorts of things, like say an ISI, the Intercollegiate Studies Institute, who tries to bring students together on this level. 
um, and, and some other organizations in, say, architecture and urbanism and so forth. Uh, but I think in, in a properly Scrutonian fashion, what needs to be done uh, is to bring all these people together, people doing the cultural work, people doing the academic work, people doing the political work, and um, and, and encourage them to engage and interact and understand that, that life is a, a holistic picture. You know, they aren't uh, little sequestered uh, fields and topics that, that must remain to themselves, but these things actually reach out beyond themselves. So yeah. I, I know this is a long-winded way of, no, of trying a... to explain, I guess, in concrete terms what it is we do, but but this is this is where I really hope to see the foundation go as we continue to uh, develop. You know, we, we were just founded last year. We launched last August, so we're just coming up on a year now uh, officially in, in operation and, and activities, and much of it has been online, you know, many online uh, events and conversations. We featured the like of uh, Robbie George and Jacob Rees-Mogg, leader of the House of Commons, Michael Go. Um, so on and so forth. You know, a, a, a lot of wonderful names that have really opened themselves up uh, to to the foundation to honor their friend. You know, someone they admire deeply, uh, and, and we hope to continue that. But but really start engaging people in this deeper level and encouraging them to think um, in this serious way uh, about culture and our shared lives together. Uh, Fisher, practical term: How do people find out about the foundation? What's what's the website? What's the web yeah? Address? So the website, yeah, it's nice and simple. Scruton.org. So S C R U T O N dot org. Good. Um, and and we have all of our stuff on there. You know, a lot of it still is uh, online programming. Where we've got an interesting conversation coming up uh, on uh, the political economy, uh, and this is you know one of the areas in which Roger was rather interesting. Uh, you know, he he often said, um, at least you know he said it to me on on a number of occasions, that he agreed more with uh, the blue labor movements in the UK than than with his own Tory party. And blue labor is this interesting sort of conservative, uh, conservative labor. And so labor is the, the left leaning party in the UK, uh, but, but they're socially conservatives, but maybe more fiscally um, liberal, uh, if you will, or, or yeah. fiscally fiscally left. Um, and and he quite liked that. Uh, but at the same time, you know, it's this, it's this strange tension that you find in Roger. And I think one of those, you know, wonderfully conservative traits uh, is, is being able to live in a tension in which, you know, he said, well, you know, we have to respect the market in some sense. It, it does have an important role to play. And, and in a very sort of Burkean tradition, you know, it's this uh, ground up movement that that allows people to um, account for and adjust uh, for local circumstances, you know, shortages, supp- supplies, so on and so forth. But yeah. we also have to reject a, a sort of corporatism. Um, one in which, you know, the powers that be, you know, the, the large powers, I should say, uh, try to get involved and, and direct the market in serious ways that, that affect regular people and, and hurt the environment and, and um, go, I think, actively against what it is we as conservatives care about, uh, which, is, which is the transcendent, right, the sacred, uh, and, and ordering our lives in a, in a proper way. Let me ask a, an autobiographical question. Yes. How did you first come to Roger Scruton's work? Yeah, so I I was interest, uh, introduced uh, to Roger's work. I was taking a, a philosophy class in college, and, well, and you uh, went to college at the King's College in New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, wonderful little liberal arts school, about five hundred students, and actually worked there uh, after graduating for a couple years. Um, but but while I was there, I was taking a philosophy course, and and uh, the sort of textbook for the the course uh, was Roger's uh, Introduction and Survey to Modern Philosophy. And it's just a wonderfully you know well written book. It, of course, it is philosophical and it's a little dense in, in some instances, but at the same time, it gives a nice overview of, well, the course of modern philosophy. And uh, and so I, I got introduced to his writing there and, and a dear buddy of mine, and I just started watching, you know, uh, as I've learned the the path to, to becoming a Scrutonian is watching his, his lectures online and, and different videos, reading more and more of his work online and elsewhere and, and, and print and so forth, um, and, and had the uh, strange encounter, which I think is just... 
wonderfully typical of Roger, where, uh, you know, as a part of the school, we, we were, my, my friend and I were in the leadership. And so we'd go off, uh, student leadership, I should say. And, and so we'd go off the weekend before the students came and, and sort of have this little retreat where they trained us and, and on and on. And, um, and we were in Long Island City at Glen Cove Mansion, which is a, a beautiful little retreat center uh, and, and conference center. And we were there waiting for the breakfast room to open. And, and we look over and see this oddly familiar looking uh, elder, elderly fellow. And uh, we, we both do double takes and say, oh, my goodness, this is Roger Scruton in the flesh. What in the world is he <laughs> doing here in Long Island City? You know, and and uh, I guess showing how, uh, how nerdy we are, uh, we were both a bit it's starstruck. Prov- providential. Yes, yes, yeah. Well, and, and so we go up and, and just can't get a word out. You know, I'm I'm I'm, I'm speechless. And my, all my friend can say is, uh, Professor Scruton, what are you doing here? And he just turns to us and says, mm, well, uh, what are you doing here? You know, and, and so we just start going back and forth. Turns out he was there for a uh, Hasidic Jewish conference in which he was he was lecturing to a bunch of uh, young men uh, talking about the Jewish tradition and the Judeo-Christian tradition and so forth. Uh, but, but one of those wonderfully odd uh, Scrutonian experiences uh, in which you, you just encounter Roger in the strangest of places. Uh, but, but you know, from there, then the, the relationship went on. Yeah. Uh, a side question. Mm-hmm. Uh, do we need the center because the usual institutions that preserve the legacy of a philosopher, the, the academic presses and quarterlies, uh, young scholars doing dissertations under the guidance of, of other professors, that those usual pathways are, are somewhat closed to a conservative thinker? Yeah, well, I mean, this is this is the story of Roger's life, right? You know, he he himself was, uh, I think, a rising academic. He I mean, He's just a brilliant mind and, and a wonderfully rigorous thinker um, who, who, you know, I, I think— he would say this is the Kantian tradition, uh, but but really kind of pulls pulls some sort of middle ground between analytic and continental philosophy. And so, for those who aren't familiar, analytic uh, tends to be much more uh, logic based, trying to think through you know formulaically uh, arguments and so forth. Whereas continental ten, tends to ask the the big questions of life and and be a bit uh, a bit more literary uh, in their in their discussions. Mm-hmm. And so, so he managed to find this middle ground in which uh, he could do both. And, and and I say all that to say, you know, he, he just was a really interesting thinker and and certainly deserved a place at Cambridge or Oxford or, or anywhere of the sort. Um, but but ran into opposition early on as he, he started to, you know, explore more of his conservative thought and what it meant to be a conservative uh, was was essentially I mean, he, he had a position. He was tenured at, at Birkbeck University uh, in, in London, mm-hmm. um, but uh, or Birkbeck College, excuse me. Uh, but after a while, it became clear that he could just not progress any further. You know, he, he wrote uh, The Meaning of Conservatism, which had some acclaim, and then he published uh, what was then Thinkers of the, of the New Left, excuse me, what's now Fools, Frauds, and Firebrands, which is a wonderfully fun book in which he goes through and uh, and, and dismantles in some sense, deconstructs, shall we say, uh, the New Left uh, thinkers like uh, Hobbesbaum and, and uh, Foucault um, and then in, in recent editions, Zizek and, and others. Um, but, uh, but at that point, I think he, he publishes, uh, you know, this is, I think back in the eighties publishes, uh, thinkers of the new left and it becomes clear the academy is against them as opposed to them. Uh, a number of, of, uh, notable academics from Oxford and elsewhere who, who wrote for the publisher, uh, I believe wrote to, wrote to the publisher, uh, sent them a letter saying you must at once stop, uh, uh, dispersing Roger's book. Uh, otherwise, we will no longer fight, write for you, and we'll find a new publisher to write for. Yeah, uh, right. And, and so at that point, <laughs> he he then you know realized once they naturally uh, uh, conceded to the request, 
um, realized that, that he didn't have a future in the academy and, and went about his own way and, and tried to live by his own whims and wits um, and, and became a sort of public intellectual. So, you know, this is a long, another long-winded answer. Well, let me ask uh, you, yeah. did, did that kind of experience uh, really push him a little farther to the right, would you say? You know, I don't think so. Uh, because no. I don't, I don't sense any real shift from from his uh, sort of academic tenure time mm-hmm. um, to the post-academic tenure time. Okay. There, there was no, no malice there. If anything, he tried to, you know, this is this is essentially the story of Roger's life, right? He he tried to overcome and forgive, hmm. um, and 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 live in, in that sort of gracious uh, graciousness. I think in which you you recognize the fault of others, and you know this is the sort of typical lines about conservatives, right? We we think your ideas are wrong, but you're not wrong, or, or you know your ideas are stupid, but you're not stupid, kind of thing. Uh, but uh, uh, but but anyways, I don't think there was there was anything like that. Um, if anything, you know, he he started to experience this hostility towards, you know, we might say in some sense traditional traditional learning, traditional um, thinking or, or culture um, in the academy. And this is what drove him to to be interested in and love really Central Europe. You know, he uh, while, while he was an academic and professor, realizing that the students and the faculty members around him didn't want to discuss Plato or, or any sort of a thinker like this, was invited to go give a lecture uh, in Central Europe. I believe uh, perhaps it was Poland first, I want to say, and uh, became enamored as, as he went over, you know, and, and went behind the Iron Curtain um, in, in the Soviet countries. Um, lecturing to people in, in packed apartments, and, and these were people who might have been academics in previous lives, uh, or or the children of uh, dissidents to some extent, maybe even clergymen, uh, so on and so forth. Um, just hungry for knowledge, trying to understand who they are and, and why their culture matters, and why you know, of all reasons, the Soviets are wrong, and and what it is that that they're trying to actively squash. Um, and and so in this way, you know, he started to recognize that that there were others. There there were. Uh, there's a sort of life of the mind out there um, that if he could do anything, he would help foster and cultivate and encourage. Let's pause for a moment to ask if you were looking for a Catholic university where the greatest works of Western and Catholic tradition are the foundation for learning, all in an environment that is faithful to the magisterium. That's the University of Dallas in Irving, Texas. Recommended by the Cardinal Newman Society, the university offers an exceptional liberal arts education with undergraduate and graduate programs in arts and sciences, business, and ministry, as well as a campus in Rome, Italy, all of them preserving the wisdom of the past while preparing students for world-changing futures. Academically excellent, always faithful. Apply today at udallas.edu. Now, one of the promptings for the podcast is a little book I I received Mm. recently. It's a revised edition of a a small collection of his essays uh, called Confessions of a heretic uh, mm. with an introduction by by Douglas Murray who did a podcast with us last year in fact. Oh fantastic. And and there's the, the essays in there are great essays in there and the first let me ask you about the first one yeah. uh, which I'm I'm sure you're familiar with uh, the that collection. The first one is called Faking It. Yes. Uh, what what was his conception of fakery and and did he think it was <laughs> a serious a serious phenomenon in our world today? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, this is a great question. And actually, I think touches upon uh, some of the research I got to do in my MA. I, I did an MA with Roger at, at his program at the University of Buckingham, mm-hmm. uh, which was just a good excuse to study Roger with Roger, right? <laughs> right. But, but uh, in, in that research, and, and I think in this question, or in this essay, you know, the, the question is, um, what does art, how does art affect us? How does encountering beauty um, move us and shape us? 
Um, and, and when we, we encounter fakery, um, whether it's, say, in sentimentality and, and emotion uh, or, or kitsch uh, in art itself, yeah. um, something serious is happening. Some, some way in which we are um, uh, putting up a false world. Uh, obviously, that's, that's contained in fake. But, but you know, it's, it's this world of fakes um, and, and a self-obsessed world, if anything. Um, so, so he talks about fakery and, and human relations, and, and this is the idea of sentimentality. I, I think I recall, you know, maybe from some years back, Matt Schmidt's doing a wonderful little post about this. Um, you know, the famous quote from Oscar Wilde talking about cheap emotions, um, and and the idea being that, you know, if you're sentimental or if you're engaging in this sort of sentimentality, not sentimental in the sense that we typically think of, of, oh, you know, this this item to me is so sentimental. It reminds me of, you know, my childhood or my mother or whatever it might be. Uh, but but a deeper sentimentality of emotion, uh, in which we we find real things, uh, but latch uh, fake emotions onto them. So so we might take the instance of of a sentimental love. In which we say we we love this person, um, you know, say I I Bob loves Sue, um, but really my love for Sue is just an excuse for me to feel things. Really, it's it's the sort of self-aggrandizement in which I think I'm I'm so wonderful and heroic uh, for for having you know the the throes and passions of love, um, and then you know on the on the flip side when it actually demands something of me, right? Loving some you know what all love uh, demands. If you know for for anyone listening that's uh, married or has children or anything of the sort, uh, we all know well that that love and, and these sorts of relationships place serious demands on our time and our attention and, and our abilities. And, you know, at the instance when it actually requires something of you, of work, you know, the sentimental uh, sentimentalist uh, will abandon it and, and then, you know, praise themselves all the more for feeling the throes of, of um, love or loss of love. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this is just a, a serious affliction, I think, of the human, uh, human condition in some sense in which we, we avoid reality um, and we avoid uh, the truth and, and the obligations and duties uh, of a relation with one another. And so, you know, he starts from there and, and just really discusses in a, in a wonderful way and a much more beautiful and concise way than I stated right there, um, the, the reality of sentimentality and, and sort of faking uh, of emotions, but then moves uh, all the more into a, in a, another interesting or moves into another interesting um, a topic, which is that of kitsch, which is, you know, as he would put it, fakery in the art world mm-hmm. and talks through, you know, what it means. Uh, really, I guess there was the um, the original avant garde uh, movements. Where uh, you know you started getting the the crosses and 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 piss and and so on and so forth, where or Duchamp's you know famous urinal, um, and this was you know as he says a, a joke that you know or it's like a joke you can say it once and it's funny and then after that it it just becomes old. Yeah. And so once the avant garde became old, you know then we move on to to kitsch, which is sort of um, art in uh, in quotations, right? You know, and uh, and then from there it just continues on. Where you have Jeff Koons who who makes balloon dogs uh, or, or balloon animal type uh, sculptures of of dogs and whatever else, um, and says that this is this is real art because it's it's transcending or con, uh, transgressing, excuse me, uh, what we think art should be, our ideals of beauty. Um, he, and and he actually there's a there's a line in there where he talks about the human need for right. beauty. People right. need beauty it's not just a, a, a taste thing it's not mm-hmm. just an entertainment that, that there's something profound that that beauty satisfies for all of us and when right. art becomes uh, i mean kitsch kitsch is, isn't loses all of its beauty 
Right. Uh, it's too it's too artificial or too superficial. Uh, that's the real pain that he sees mm-hmm. here. That that's the real cost. Not that it's just bad art, but something in 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 human beings is being unmet. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, and this really gets you know I, I think one of the general tenets of of Roger's thought, which is the importance of beauty. And he would go about you know explaining it in in um, I guess a Kantian way where. He, and others would say this too, but it's a thing of intrinsic value, as the philosophers say, or a thing uh, that's an end in itself, something that we consider and love purely because it is it. You know, and you look at a painting, there's no no real value that's gained except contemplating the beautiful and appreciating it and, and so forth. Yeah. Um, and, and in some deep sense, as you said, this is necessary to the to the human condition, uh, the, our lives. Um, and, and in a, a real way, beauty reconciles us to the world. Yeah. You know, it, it helps us understand that we have a home here. Uh, and that this thing that we have is is worth living, you know, and it's it's worthwhile. Um, he, and, he has so well, he 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 does. He has so much to say, even in this short collection of essays about beauty, architecture, about public spaces, right? The right. the the creations of cities, mm-hmm. the ways in which we we live and move and work uh, in in the cities that I would I would urge readers to to take a look at, but. Yeah. He also talks about their politics, the issues of mm-hmm. politics and, <laughs> and Europe. Would, just, this is a blunt question, do you think Brexit, did, did, actually did Brexit surprise him? He, he died, when, when, when did exactly did he die? He died in, in uh, January 2020. Okay. And, um, you know, he, he's often been called actually, you know, uh, one of the architects of Brexit in some sense, right? So he, he was one of the intellectual minds uh, or the, the minds kind of behind the intellectual foundations of, of Brexit, which is really, you know, an argument for national sovereignty mm-hmm. uh, and national loyalty above all else. But Fisher, so, did, did he yeah. think it was going to happen? What was he uh, optimistic before the election? <laughs> or, uh, You know, to be honest, I, I don't personally know. I, you know I, I wasn't talking with him then. Yeah. But my guess is he was probably pessimistic about it. You know, Roger, Roger at the end of the day is in some sense a realist and, and wanting to uh, not be too optimistic or uh, uh, utopian, I guess, in that, that way. But but I think he was hopeful, too, you know, as, as everyone is. Yeah. Um, and, and it was a pleasant surprise, you know, especially for me, at least at the time when I was watching it, just to see that, you know, in fact, uh, like we experienced here ourselves in 2016, um, regular, normal people actually preferred to be, you know, their own culture and country. Um, and, and though we have our, our globalists and our metropolitan centers, um, who, who prefer the global and, and the, the far away versus the local and, and, um, and our, you know, our own citizenry, uh, the majority of people, I think, still think this way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, he, he, the, the title of that one essay is again, that word need, the mm-hmm. need for mm-hmm. nations. Right. The, the, and, and I think that it, it, he doesn't just mean it's a politically expedient way. There's something about nation that, that goes along with uh, your own, with, mm-hmm. with, with home, with a feeling of legacy, of inheritance. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's a tie to, to the past. And that he says that uh, multiculturalism, he talks a lot about multiculturalism, and there's one quote in there where he says, the result of official multiculturalism is cultural blindness mm-hmm. now we were all promised that cultural multiculturalism would actually be a a greater vision it would improve our our eyesight for for the past for different cultures we'd have a much richer sense of of ourselves and our our past and our destiny but he says no multiculture is actually a form of blindness what, right. what does he mean by that right well i mean i, I think with the multicultural um 
uh, uh, I guess, policy, and we might call it, uh, you can't value one culture over the other. Uh, over the other. Uh, it, you know, this is this is the fundamental question. Once you you start saying all culturals are valuable, um, you you have to be able to distinguish these things, but but they refuse to do so, um, and and. You know, one of another central, I think, theme of, of Roger's work, especially as it relates to art, is that, you know, judgments matter and, and you, in fact, can make judgments. We should be able to distinguish between good and bad art. We should be able to distinguish between good and bad culture. You know, while, while there might be valuable contributions from any culture and, and really ways in which they've come to understand themselves in the human condition generally, um, they all might also, you know, uh, incorporate bad things like. Uh, human sacrifice or, or uh, uh, you know, whatever else it might be. And those, of course, are the farns of the examples, but um, or extremists. But at the end of the day, you know, we have to be able to distinguish between different cultures, uh, even if we do welcome others in uh, and, and even welcome, you know, their own cultures. And I, I myself am, am of Armenian background. My, my father uh, is full Armenian and, and I grew up in the Central Valley of California, uh, which has a heavily Armenian community. Uh, and there's still very much so the sense of, of unity amongst the diaspora. If ever I meet another Armenian, they immediately embrace me uh, and hug me and start talking about their, you know, uh, as if I'm a brother of theirs or no, that, a long-lost nice. cousin. That's very nice. Right, which is which is wonderful. And, and I think, you know, we can allow for that sort of thing, obviously, uh, and, and really bring in those differences of culture. And, and as we do here in the States quite well, I think, become a, a melting pot of sorts. But we still have to have a culture. You know, there, there still has to be something in which unites us. Uh, and, and, you know, as you get uh, with the need for nations, uh, it's not just political expediency, but but there's a deeper uh, need and, and rootedness, a need for rootedness in the humans and uh, in, in human condition and, and in life uh, in which we we need to belong to a place. We need to belong to a people. Um, and, and this is what Roger's really trying to get at as he's attacking multiculturalism, yeah. uh, is that it, it, it doesn't value what's ours uh, and, and in fact tries to put it down. And, and this is, you know, where you, you get the sort of culture of repudiation uh, that uh, one of the wonderful phrases Roger, Roger coined, um, where, you know, it's this idea of, of trying to build a culture based off resentment. And, and this is, you know, what you find essentially across elite institutions, I think, today. Uh, especially all of the the great universities of of uh, the Ivies and and so forth, yeah. uh, where where students are taught to to resent what's theirs. You know, it's it's always the favoring of the them or of the us, uh, which doesn't need to be, I guess, xenophobic or anything of the sort. But but still, you should favor your own at the end of the day. If if you're <laughs> if you're put in a situation between uh, where you have to choose between your family or, or your your city and and another. Uh, you should try to choose your own, um, and and you have that obligation to care for those you know and love. Um, but uh, but but in the culture of repudiation, they reject this, and and they try to build a culture and a community based off resentment, um, which just rejects out of the sake of rejecting, which says that you know what's ours is fundamentally bad, and and <laughs> there are too too numerous of uh, too many examples and, and many numerous ones of uh, that way that we could go into where where this is the case and, and has been the case for for some years now. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but but this is at the heart of it, I think. He calls Europe at one point an emasculated society. Is right. this a, a, an important theme in his in his thinking? I think so. Um, uh, you know, he might not always put it in those terms, but but there's some sense of, of embarrassment, if if not outright rejection uh, of of their identity and their culture. And this is something you know I've I've only started to become more and more aware of and, and attuned to as I've 
uh, continued to work with the foundation and, and reach out really to to all these international communities, uh, which which Roger, you know, surprisingly has just a wonderfully far reach. Uh, I know there's a contingency of, of Brazilians that love him. Of course, uh, in Central Europe, they love him as, as he's seen as the uh, the sort of uh, godfather of the right over there and, and many other places, you know, I'll, I'll have to say. Um, but uh, but you know, as I've, I've come to, to experience and, and Roger himself argues and many others do, um, there's a sort of sense of embarrassment over over the nation in Europe, over their culture and saying, you know, well, as you might imagine, we've we've experienced experienced these hardships and and these great wars over the fact that, you know, there were national cultures that people loved and, and propagated um, and, and it only led to conflict. And, and so in this sense, they, I think, try to reject uh, what's theirs and try to embrace that sort of multicultural policy yeah. Um, yeah. at did, the did, same time wiping out theirs. Their yeah. own. Did 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 Roger ever think that people in the West, intellectuals in the West, mm-hmm. would ever come back to taking pride in, in their own nations and in Western civilization and being openly expressive of that pride? <laughs> uh, I think he had hope. You know, I think this is this is his his mission uh, in his work and his his goal and his hope was to instill that sort of love. You know, I, I think Douglas uh, Murray in, in his introduction, uh, how does he say it? Let me let me find this. It's a great little quote. Um, and and many others have have essentially said the same thing. But he says, you know, Scruton showed us not just what we should reject, but what we should nurture and love. Um, and and this was the goal of his work was was not only to again uh, reject uh, incorrect thinking and, and this this culture of fakes whether in personal relationships and um, in art and culture itself or or whatever else it might be um, but but really show us what it is that we should love and and communicate it from a place of love you know Mark Dooley uh, Rogers a literary executor always calls calls Roger a philosopher of love hmm. um, and and it's the idea I think deep at the heart of, of Roger's thinking is that, you know, we ought to love what's ours. We ought to love what we've inherited and, and through that love, communicate it and pass it on to future generations in the, you know, very Burkean sort of um, dead, living and unborn uh, way of thinking of, of life and, and communities and cultures. Yeah. Um, so so I, I think he was hopeful all that to say, I, you know, I, did he ever believe it actually happened? Who knows? You know, did he believe in, in the, the fall of the West? Who knows? And, you know, it, 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 he might have. He, I think he, he tended to be cynical in some instances, but also had this deeper sense of hope that, you know, we can be surprised by people and, and uh, things can change. We can't continue to gather, uh, you know, out of resentment because soon enough there won't be anything to resent but one another. Uh, as we see, you know, with the ever expanding um, <laughs> agenda of, of woke and, and everything else where suddenly, you know, it's one thing one day and then soon we have to expand to the next thing because that's been tackled. And then soon it's the next thing. And, and then you just have large classes of people which you hate and reject. Um, but that list is always growing. Right. <laughs> so so we can at least take hope that it can't go on forever. That being said, a lot of damage can be done in the meantime. Um, so our, our goal, which is the goal of the foundation and, and I'm sure first things and many others, of course, is to to foster that culture and, and at least create some small contingent, you know, some small remnant um, who's who's continuing to, to think about these things in the right way and and hold on to that culture and continue it and pass it on, um, so that when the time comes, we're ready to to emerge and 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 sh- and shine the way forward. But when that time will be, who knows? And maybe in some sense, he saw Brexit and and you know that sort of uh, the populist turn as as it's been called in, in different places as a sign of hope for that. But uh, that the battle is still far, I, I think, long and and, uh, and and hard ahead of us. Okay. Uh, the organization is the Roger Scruton Legacy Foundation. Fisher Dodarian, thank you for joining us. 
Thank you so much, Mark. It's been a pleasure. And thank you for listening to our conversation, which has been supported by Wyoming Catholic College, which combines great books, the Catholic tradition, and the great outdoors of the American West into an extraordinary education. Go to wyomingcatholic.edu or contact the admissions office at 877-332-2930.